Welcome to Press Coverage. I'm Theo Greminger. At Press Coverage, I'm trying to bring you actionable information. I'm trying to bring you some of the sharpest guests. We're trying to sift through the nonsense and help you win in fantasy. You saw us all summer long. I brought in a lot of really, really sharp guests. I'm going to continue to do so in the regular season. And I love that this is my first guest uh, You know, for, for regular season NFL is my guy, Scott Connor. Uh, Scott is a is a, a fantasy mind that I greatly respect. We've podcasted with one another many times at this point. If you are watching in the Roto Underworld, uh, you've seen him on Mind to Mansion. You've seen him on First Class Fantasy with Billy Muzio and myself. You've seen him in the Goat District. Uh, I've been with him in the Goat District a couple couple times now, uh, and you definitely know him from Destination Devi, Dynasty Trades in Five, and all the great stuff uh, Scott has been doing. Scott also had. The Chasing the Helmet podcast, which if you're a high-stakes fantasy football player like myself, that was Destination uh, Listening and Viewing with Jay Reed. I uh, did that for a while. That was really, really great stuff. But Scott's putting out some of the best content in the business. I would say that Scott has the ability to influence Dynasty players at a very high level and Dynasty analysts to a T all listen to what Scott has to say. Scott, welcome to Press Coverage. I'm really glad to have you on, man. How are you doing? Yeah, it feels like uh, just, what, a week ago we were drafted next to each other? Yes. And this is, uh, yeah. like it, like literally a week from when we were putting this out, we were sitting next to each other, or a spot difference from each other, drafting in the main event. So good to see you, Theo. Awesome to be back on your your solo show on press coverage. But yeah, we've been doing this a long, long time together, so happy to be back for another show and a uh, lot to talk about, even one week in. Yeah, and shout out to the chat. It's already it's already lit. Um, people get excited, you know, when I have a big time guest here on press coverage, and, and you're definitely it. And Scott, why didn't you tap me on the shoulder in Vegas and be like, uh, "Hey, homie, don't draft Garrett Wilson because uh, his quarterback's going to get injured." I mean, because you're a sharp dude, you could have given me the heads up on that. Um, but I drafted Garrett Wilson the first in the first round of that draft. You took Bijan Robinson in the first draft. We're going to talk about both of those players today. Um, <laughs> life comes at you fast in fantasy football, everyone. But Scott, why don't you tell everybody? Shout out to to Jonah's whale. Says Scott is putting in the work. You're you're everywhere right now. Let everybody know where they can find you on a weekly basis. What is your schedule like throughout the regular season? Yeah, actually, it's been uh, it's been really nice. Uh, I've basically concentrated everything into Dynasty Trades in Five and Destination Devi. Uh, just announced last week, Destination Devi and Dynasty Trades in Five are partnering. So that makes it very easy for me. Um, I took a full-time position at Destination Devi, essentially managing all of the content, overseeing all the writing, overseeing all the podcasting, the YouTube content. I'll do my content on there. I have my show with Ray on Wednesday nights. You can find that 9 p.m. on the YouTube channel. Uh, Destination Dynasty is my podcast I put out every Monday morning. And then we do the live streams on Tuesday nights with Dynasty Trades in 5. So those are the three days you'll hear content from me. Everything else is guest spots. It is stuff in our Discord, stuff for our patrons, and then kind of managing all the other content. So it's actually nice for me. It's, And you know how it is, Theo, when you're doing stuff all over the place. And it just feels like nothing was like perfectly aligned, especially during the season. And I've, I've got a really nice schedule this year where it's, content Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but Thursday through Sunday, I can focus on managing the 90 leagues that I'm trying to manage, you know, and hitting waivers and hitting sit starts. Like it's a lot, but really nice this year. But yeah, you can find me those places. Basically, if you're subscribed to Destination Devi, you'll find everything that I do because all the trades in five content will be put on the Destination Devi feed. So check it out there. So I I think that that's one thing that, that people don't realize about you. They know that you're a really active dynasty manager and they know that you're putting out a lot of content, but you're also a very, very strong redraft manager. I've competed against you in multiple FFPC main events. I greatly respect your opinion on the redraft game as well. I kind of want to get inside your head here. You have you mentioned the 90 teams. Are you like 85% dynasty right now and 15% redraft? Is that a fair assessment about... Uh, I would say I'm about, it's probably 60, 40 at this point. 60, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm setting 35 to 40 redraft lineups. So now some of those are co-managed. Some of those are solo. So, I mean, they're, you know, what, what goes into setting a co-managed lineup versus a solo lineup. Sometimes I'll let my partner do it or I'll do it myself, but it, it's more redraft than I actually anticipated when I first got into this. 
not to belabor this subject, but Jay brought me into high stakes fantasy eight years ago. We've been partnering ever since. He brought me in as like somebody he noticed that we actually played in a dynasty league together. And he's like, hey, you seem like somebody that would be good at high stakes. You want to come in? Let's just kind of do a test run for a year. And I was all in, you know, I'm like, man, as long as I can come up with the money and win a little bit up front, let's go. And then it's just been kind of going forward since then. We've won a little bit. We've won quite a few main events, been able to pay for more and more leagues as the years go on. And that's where I'm at. So it, I never got into this to be in redraft. I played my home leagues and whatever, but it's turned into like, it's a, it's a different game. I will say the biggest struggle for me, Theo, is wrapping your head around all my dynasty content. Start 12, start 13 deep leagues with trades. And then you get into a start eight FFPC league where you're going against a bunch of other people. Your mindset has to be totally different. And I would say my biggest weakness is not having enough conviction in certain spots and redraft and being way too structure oriented, which you know, as well as I, we play in a lot of leagues, but there's a lot of others in this space that are maxing out every high stakes tournament that there is, you know, they're going 150 entries in the main event. They're going 150 entries in NFFC. Like they are playing the volume that truly my process would be best at if I had more volume, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I have to be, I think I need to be a little more convicted on players and more convicted on outcomes, especially in a short season, which is redraft. I mean, main events, you have 12 weeks. You don't have 17 weeks like you do in a dynasty league. Like you have 12 weeks to get it right. Otherwise, if that team's not top four, it's dead. You yeah. just blew two grand. You know, it doesn't matter if you finish sixth place and your team was rocking the second half of the year. You start one and four and you're eighth in points, the team's cooked. It's not getting back in it. And sometimes I'm not as aggressive or not as convicted in spots that I may need to be. And I think that might be will hold me back a little bit in redraft. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's a it's a very interesting dynamic. And I think a lot of times when people hear the word high stakes leagues, they think they're all equal. Um, but FFPC main event, it's definitely more of a sprint uh, because you do have the short regular season and you have to treat the waiver wire as like you're like turning into Billy Bean. You're buying wins, Scott, because, you know, those guys are it's it's harder to stash guys. You also have to deal with the playoff weeks that are a little bit different than some of these other other leagues. Um, and like you said, yeah, man, it's a sprint. You got to get a ticket if you're going to win the raffle and you got to finish in that top four. Uh, there's multiple paths to getting to the postseason, and you also want to win some money in the regular season. But before we kind of dive into our subjects, one question I have for a lot of my high-volume guests this year is, when are you setting your lineups? Because you're a busy guy. I know for me personally, Sunday mornings are always an adventure. I have sometimes things with my kids. I have you know other things going on, and I'm sometimes waking up super, super early setting my lineups and then I got to be there for the, for the injury news, the inactives. Um, so I feel like it's just a constant, constant chase with these lineups. How do you manage a multi, a multitude, um, a big portfolio of teams in terms of setting your lineups? Yeah, I think this is actually an underrated topic. I know it's not specifically what we were going to cover, but I think it's a really good topic, even for somebody that's in 2025 leagues, even if you started to build your dynasty leagues and you're playing redraft, you need to set time in your schedule to have multiple points of entry during the week to make sure you have your bases covered. Whatever that looks like for you, you have to set aside time versus I know people that are playing in 30, 40, 50 dynasty leagues and they go, yeah, I start setting my lineups, laying on the couch Thursday night at seven o'clock. Now you may be able to get to all of them, but there's probably no process of, okay, how much exposure do I have? Have I hedged in the right places? Have I stacked in the right places? You're just going, I have an hour to set 28 lineups. I better make sure I have active players, but you're losing a little bit there. So I'll just say this. I start by going in usually Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Uh, maybe I'll do it earlier. If I'm like on the treadmill or something like that early in the week, I'll just set a preliminary lineup of what I think looks good on Tuesday morning. But Usually it's like Wednesday sometime before waivers, before a lot of the stuff that starts to heat up for the next week comes in practice reports. I go in and I'll set the lineup. I don't track it or nothing. I just set a lineup to as like, if I had to pick it in the next hour, what would I do? Then what I'll go through and do before Thursday night, I will literally take an hour. I have a spreadsheet. 
I'll put it all in a spreadsheet. And a lot of a lot of sites you can copy and paste pretty easily, or there, there's even people that have developed some some sheets with formulas where you essentially just put in like the coding and it'll give you the lineup. Still waiting for the site that says anything you can plug in and it just gives you a a, a master list. But Thursday night I'll go in and track it. So starting the Thursday night game, I can pretty much tell you how much DeAndre Swift did I have in last night. Just control F function. You can see how many times I had him in a lineup. Then you just refine it from there, you know, and I'll start by going with the players that didn't practice all three days. I'll start kind of removing them out of the lineups, players that are ruled out. But the point is, if somebody gets ruled out Saturday night, I can go and quickly, within five minutes or less, see everywhere I had that player in, and they're coming out. They're not getting missed. And that makes it easy on Sunday morning if there's one or two or three surprise inactives. Again, I can just find that instead of going, man, I have 90 lineups. Haven't touched these since Thursday night. This guy just got ruled out. I need to find 12 spots where I need to pull him out. But I can find it quickly. So you got to have that structure. I don't know how else to do it. Um, I cannot stand when I look at a lineup and somebody started a guy that's ruled out or somebody started a guy that they left on IR from the week before. Like, I, What is the point of us playing and putting all this time and money into it if you're going to make egregious errors like that? It literally could cost you a week. Cost you a week, cost you a matchup cost you a playoff spot, cost you a buy, like all of this stuff. Like I cannot stand when I make little mistakes like that. So you got to have a process. You got to put a couple hours a week towards lineups if you're playing a portfolio. Otherwise, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. And fantasy karma and the fantasy gods are going to get you when you start punting a season and kind of doing things like that and giving people wins, especially in these high stakes leagues. People will not forget that team mm -hmm. name of the guy that punted. You'll do something, whatever you can to kind of jam that person in the future if they cost you a playoff, uh, you know, a, pl a playoff bid and money in your pocket by not setting a lineup. We're going to dive into a lot of subjects like this, Scott's process, some of our reactions to week one, and we're going to try to help you win on week two after we hear a word from our sponsors. This episode brought to you by Mojo. Mojo is that player stock market. We love Mojo because we like making lifetime bets on players. You run out the clock on these guys. Mojo just rolled out a brand new fantasy platform. That's right. So now you can build a portfolio of player props. Oh, Jamar Chase over 77.5. Oh, Kadarius Tony under 15.5. Whatever the under is on Kadarius Tony, doesn't matter. You can just stack up the props in your portfolio. And the beauty is, once the Sunday games kick off, it's not over. It's not over until it's over with Mojo because once those games kick off, you can then move in and out of positions. Let's say that you're well ahead of expectations. You can cash out. Let's say you're behind expectations. You're underwater. Well, you can double down. That's what makes Mojo so special, why they're different. Check it out. Go to the App Store. Get the Mojo app and use the promo code UNDERWORLD. The promo code UNDERWORLD. Gets you a 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks. So the promo code is UNDERWORLD, and they will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Go to Mojo, start building your portfolio, and then during the games, you can be a fantasy day trader. Welcome back to Press Coverage. I'm Theo Greminger. I'm here with Scott Connor. Uh, Scott, Last night, you mentioned DeAndre Swift. What a performance from DeAndre Swift. Actually, a very fantasy-friendly game for us last night. We're going to touch on the Minnesota pass catchers, but we love seeing Thursday night games that, that start out like that. You had a three-touchdown performance from Jalen Hurts. You had a really, really big performance from DeAndre Swift. You had some great stuff from Devonta Smith. What are your thoughts on this Eagles backfield? Week one, we see Kenneth Gainwell getting the full load, and basically DeAndre Swift was pushed to the side, did absolutely nothing. Kenneth Gainwell can't go week two, and DeAndre Swift put up what could be the running back one overall performance for week two. Looked fantastic, looked explosive. It feels like a coming out party, but can we trust Nick Sirianni uh, to maybe go with like at least a 60-40 split in Swift's favor? I don't think so, uh, just because Swift's never been used like this in his career. Now, here's the thing. The impressive part is the way the Eagles have run the ball the first two games. It's hard to say I don't want every Eagles running back just on my roster. I mean, you can you can kind of hit or miss with Boston Scott, whether you want to stash him, because we've seen years of how we know they're going to probably use him. 
but I don't think you're going to get the game script again where it's they clearly could run the ball from the beginning. Then Boston Scott gets a concussion. Gainwell's not active. And if you just watch when Penny came in, like you watch some of the holes that Swift had, you're like, man, Penny should smash. And then they give him a couple of those holes and he just doesn't quite hit it as fast, you know? And you're just like, maybe it's not a great fit. I don't think it's he's out of shape. I don't think it's in, he's injured. I just think the way they're running the ball, they'd rather have the guy that gets there a little quicker. But to the point, and we talk a lot about this at Destination Debbie, but roster construction, Theo, yeah. how much does it hurt if you picked another guy to start over DeAndre Swift last night because you were scared of his workload? Because now you're sitting at a spot where you're guaranteed the team that has him on their bench is starting him next week. And you're going to complain when he only gets 13 touches next week instead of 28. But that's the reality of it. Like You have to put your teams in position to take advantage of last night's start, even if there's only two guys, right? Like even if it was Boston, Scott and Swift, and you knew it would be 70, 30 or 60, 40, you still should have justified to start the 60 or 70 part of that committee, just given the matchup, given the offense, you know what I mean? So I don't think you can trust it, man. I think next, next week we could see Gainwell back and it's back to a 50, 50. The only thing I will say is teams are smart. Historically Swift is up in the top five in the current NFL in terms of points per opportunity. Gainwell's not now Gainwell's up there too. So everyone says he's inefficient just because his week one game wasn't great, but I think they have a nice tandem there of two historically efficient players that if I'm sitting there I, and I'm even fine keeping Rashad Penny, you never know when his week might be Theo. You I never have know. no, I have absolutely zero love for Rashad Penny after the holding call on the, on the AJ Brown touchdown catch, which yep. could have been very, very nice for me. So, you know what? I don't even want to talk about Rashad Penny today, Scott, but I love your take. I love how you kind of put a couple people on blast on Twitter about roster management and roster construction in terms of your lineup decisions. My, my I said this yesterday on First Class Fantasy. Definitely highly recommend that one. Uh, Alan Soslowski and Jim Coventry joined me uh, from Roto-Wire. They were great. Highly recommend that episode. It was very good. But I said yesterday I'm putting DeAndre Swift in every lineup that I have him in. I don't think he's going to be RB1 overall, but I think he'll be R like around RB20, and he'll have a very usable scoring input. And this is sort of my take on, you know, I got in a little little pushback for this because I said it to everybody a couple weeks back on Twitter, or at least not even a couple weeks, about a week ago, is I said, if you have Isaiah Likely on your roster and you are not starting him this week, then why is he on your roster? And it's sort of like that with DeAndre Swift. You have a perfect storm opportunity for usage. You better get him in your lineup. If not, he's a hole in your lineup. And why are you even having him? Do you kind of agree with those statements, Scott? Hundred percent, hundred percent. And that's that's where it comes down to: what is the plan when you draft your roster right at the beginning? Even if it's a redraft league, it's not a dynasty league. Dynasty league, it's a little harder because. There's other value components and access to getting players is a little bit different, but n nothing is crazier to me when somebody drafts a redraft league. And like I put it on Twitter, if anyone wants to check out the thread, uh, I took safe leagues, which is a dynasty format, but it's a start 10. So it's kind of similar to some of the high stakes decisions, right? It's not super deep where you're in a super deep league. You were just starting Penny and Swift and you're like, I'll just live with the results, you know? But it was very interesting to see because all the sit-start data is public in real time. And you just see some of the names, Theo, that are ahead of DeAndre Swift for this week. And he was on a Thursday night. So anybody that had Aaron Jones or Austin Eckler, like they could have legitimately played Swift over those guys because they were worried about what's going to happen the weekend. So his sit-start decisions are probably a little higher because it was a it, you knew he was playing, right? But you look at some of the players that are started ahead of him, like double the amount of times he started, like damn near 80%. Guys like Rashad White, and Damian Pierce, and Najee Harris, and James Conner. And why did people push the button on those guys over Swift? It's, Even because they're like, well, the guaranteed touch floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. And But the problem was when you drafted a Najee and a James Conner and DeAndre Swift, that's too much equity to put into one position at too early of a price because you then set your team up to where you missed out on this DeAndre Swift week and what's bound to happen. James Conner is going to go out and score nine points. And then what are you going to do next week, Theo? You're going to sit James Conner for DeAndre Swift, right? Because man, look what happened last week. It just doesn't work that way. 
the same thing in Dynasty where I go, would you trade for Swift today? And most people go, hell no, because I don't get last night's production. I, I I have to now forecast it next week, and there's there's no worse position to try to forecast than like the RB2, RB3 flex range because it's literally random. So you got to set yourself up to what you did exactly what you did. If I have Swift, he's in. That's why I picked him for these opportunities where he has a projectable even 50-50 workload. He's in my lineup. I'll live with the results. I think that there's a slight fear. I think that what you brought up was the idea of chasing volume and chasing safety in fantasy football, I think, is a weak crutch that a lot of players have in general where they always want to think that this is going to be teams hitting their average, kind of a median range outcome for the week, when oftentimes we really need to be chasing that ceiling. And I think that there is a, especially in leagues like we're in, Scott, where points matter, I'm chasing ceiling results. I don't want to kind of limp my way through and win a game 110 to 105. That helps me to an extent, but it doesn't really. I want to take a ceiling outcomes whenever possible. Uh, I also think that there's a slight game theory where there's been kind of a hatred towards the Thursday night game now for a couple of years because we've had some duds. But I think like you brought up, if I use a guy on a Thursday night, tiebreakers being he's going to play, he's going to get volume versus question mark guys who might not play. Then you also have the factor that I know how to react to the rest of my week based on how these Thursday night guys perform. So I guess there's certain risks in it, um, but I'm more apt to play Thursday night games than I think some managers who get scared off of the short week. Do you have any adjustment in your you know, process with start sits based on Thursday nights, or does that kind of just go out the window and you're looking at it as kind of like a, a matchup? I want to say that I just look at it as another game, but we're all biased. I mean, we've both been on the situations where you're on the fence 10 minutes before the game. Do I want to play that Thursday night player or do you project? I mean, because let's be fair. There is no worse feeling than if you went all in. I went eight out of nine of DeAndre Swift. And it's, it's interesting why I'm sharing my specific league. The league I didn't start DeAndre Swift, my other two running backs were Dalvin Cook and David Montgomery. And I'm like, I feel very good about both of their roles. But I guarantee you he outscores both of those guys this week. But he that's might, he might outscore them combined, Scott. Exactly. But my point was I I did that because it was a team that I went wide receiver heavy and I got all three of those guys back to back to back. And I loved it. But already in week two, I'm challenging myself of which one do I start over the other. And it's the same reason. Like if you're gonna draft a guy like James Conner, don't draft him with two other James Connors. Just draft the one and go, you know what? If he gets hurt and he's done by week two, I have a hole to fill. But I'm drafting him with the expectation that I'm starting him every week because I'm making this volume bet. Why would I then start pulling that volume bet for other volume bets that I paid high prices for? So to your original question, there's no worse feeling on a Thursday night than you take a three and you have to live with it for three days and you see those three other options on your bench and you go, damn, that would have been better than that two for 10, you know, yeah, sucks, but you started, I started a penny in a league. I'm living with three points. You yeah. Know, you that, weren't going to sit AJ Brown, but dude, you feel horrible if you started AJ Brown. Cause every other league, probably you're going against a Devonte Smith, a Jordan Addison, a Justin Jefferson, a Jalen hurts, a Deandre Swift, a TJ Hawkinson. Like, you know, it feels terrible to take that really low score on Thursday night. It can literally give you a little bit of a uh, depression for the next couple of days. Absolutely. It's nothing worse than that when you're staring at like uh like the projections and it looks like you're gonna lose a game by 30. Um mm -hmm. but but you know, we 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 keep fighting, Scott. We're trying to to irk out as many W's as we can early in the season. Let's talk about Devonta Smith and AJ Brown real quick because since last year's bye week, Devonta Smith now has earned more targets than AJ Brown. This year we saw AJ Brown being selected in nearly every first round. You started seeing him maybe go in the top 15. Uh, in some of those later drafts in the summer when people try to change the builds and get unique. But let's call him a late first-round pick. Devonta Smith was a guy who lived in the second round. You occasionally got him in the early third round. Do you have fear that this is, as for the A.J. Brown managers, that this is going to be a Devonta Smith outscoring him this season? Or do you think that if you had to bet on it, A.J. is going to 
do AJ like things and end up being the wide receiver in Philly that you're happy you drafted. I still would take AJ over Devonte, but um, and I'll give credit to Ray. You can find this stuff on Destination Devi, but he uh, puts together something called the Trinity, which is basically a very easy way to measure receivers in terms of how they win. It's not even projective or predictive. It's more of just looking at the archetype of receivers and what they do well. And the takeaway from last year was of all the quote unquote wide receiver twos, Devontae Smith is the only one that really, if you take away the name, looks like a wide receiver one. Jalen Waddell doesn't. T. Higgins doesn't. Chris Godwin doesn't. There's a lot of others that were being drafted high, but you look at it and really, if you took the other guy away, they wouldn't necessarily project as somebody that's just going to absolutely smash. So I was always higher on Smith, lower on Brown. Not to where I would take Smith over, but uh, if you took Devontae Smith around after A.J. Brown, you're feeling pretty good because they're they're both automatic starts, but feels like he's he's much closer to being where he drafted versus I am not so confident on T. Higgins or Jalen Waddle because they're just simply not as good as the other guy that's alongside of them. So they yeah. literally would need an injury and things to go right in even with those two, it's not even guaranteed that if there was the injury that they would be able to do what the wide receiver one did in their room. Whereas I think if Smith did not have A.J. Brown for a period, I think he could do exactly what A.J. Brown does. Devonta Smith is such an elite player. He has the high draft capital. And I think we could, like last year, he was arguably the best wide receiver pick you could have made in all of fantasy football. And I think when we look back at the end of the season, I think that a lot of fantasy managers with Devonta Smith are going to be, you know, moving into their postseasons, cashing in a lot of leagues. And yeah, he was just a great value. And Scott, it's also interesting because he went before a tier of guys who we have some question marks. Like you brought up T. Higgins, I'll throw DK Metcalf into that mix. And then, you know, Calvin Ridley looks like an absolute smash right now. But it's interesting because Smith was going right before like those other two kind of slightly younger, not old, uh, perceived uh, somewhat alpha-like wide receivers. So it's definitely an interesting one. But before we move on from the Thursday evening game, Justin Jefferson is Justin Jefferson. He's unbelievable. But we see now Jordan Addison, a guy that me and you discussed uh, when we were during the draft process as a prospect. And now in back-to-back games, he scored on touchdowns. Um, He looks every bit the part of a successful number two wideout. What what do you think of Jordan Addison after two games as a pro? Is this a guy that you're cramming into your lineup every single week? Yeah, actually, guys, able to cram him in last night. Uh, I picked up Puka Nakua in three leagues and was going to start him until the report came out that he was questionable. So I pulled him for Jordan Addison in two of those. So kind of got lucky. But yeah, I think he's very, very much similar to Devontae Smith. I don't want to say he's just as good, but I mean, man, you look at the Vikings offense, you look at the way they play, you Kirk Cousins, we know he's just been fantasy gold for the receivers. Now, is he going to be a little more volatile? Because I think Hawkinson's still going to be a thorn in the side a little bit to Addison, but he played more snaps last night. I'm sure you saw KJ Osborne had two really bad drops last yeah. night. So you'd hope that eventually you can start saying, you know, Osborne is out of the way a little bit more in favor of Jordan Addison. So yeah, it feels like Minnesota is one of those teams where you can fire up three or four players from their team and you just relive with the result. Cousins is going to have a couple stinker games where everybody sucks. But yeah, I think Addison's definitely top top 30 the rest of the year. Like he's going to be the rookie that you wanted to draft probably over, uh, definitely over JSN. Maybe Zay Flowers is in there. But yeah, I think if you have Addison, you're very happy because he's been yeah. startable. Even with the touchdowns, like he's still involved enough to where like you to see what he did in his first two games. Like I feel like by mid season, you're going to be starting him everywhere. And shout out to Billy Muzio who a couple months ago, I said, Jordan Addison's going to finish as a wide receiver two this year. I got a shot now, Scott. I got a shot. I was laughed down on that one, but I was tw- top 24 is within, within the range of outcomes here. And I'll say like the KJ Osborne one is interesting. You bring him up because right now they're so consolidated. They don't even have other players running routes. It's yep. just Addison, Jefferson, Osborne and TJ Hawkinson. So like Osborne does like bonehead things and you're like, oh my God, he dropped another pass and what a goofy play. But Cousins is able to kind of find the mismatch some games and we've seen Osborne have smash games. I think that with those two wide receivers and Hawkinson, there's going to be one or two smash games for Osborne uh, where it's kind of like a 
that's the kind of guy that I want to keep on my rosters because he's got contingent upside if Addison or Jefferson or Hawkinson miss. And also if I'm like desperation mode during bye weeks, I know I can throw him in and he could find the end zone and potentially have a game. So we're we're definitely into that. Let's talk about Hawkinson though. Hawkinson's a guy that is right now the tight end one overall, most likely when we get to the end of the week, he'll be the tight end one overall uh, in, in all football. Now, obviously Mark Andrews missed. Darren Waller had a dud. Um, and Travis Kelsey, of course, missed. These guys can all catch up to him. But your thoughts on the early usage for TJ Hawkinson? I did not draft any TJ Hawkinson. That was probably me being a little biased in terms of what I thought the offense would be. But I think it's fair to say at this point, like the Vikings are one of the few teams. I mean, they were top five in neutral pass rate last year. Kirk Cousins, as much as you may hate on him for not winning NFL games, is he is a golden child for producing fantasy players. They let him throw. They let him throw without any regard. Their run game looks like it's clearly way worse than it's been in the past. Their defense isn't that great. So I, I think you just get to a point, and then you mentioned the final thing that nobody really talks about is the concentration. It's been the same. It's the same reason you'll still roster Tyler Boyd. It's the same reason you'll still start Dallas Goddard every week because they don't mess with. I mean, you look at some of these teams, Theo. They'll throw to nine or ten guys in a game. At least you you look at even teams that don't have good weeks, and you look at the snaps run, and it's like, yeah, Tyler Boyd, ninety two percent of the snaps. Like he's out there. Like they're not messing with other players. They're not bringing in another receiver. They're not bringing in three tight ends. So the concentration, I think, is important in terms of who you roster. Hawkinson, yeah. You just got to start any Viking at this point. Like You, yeah. you just start him because of the offense. You just ride the offense. You ride the quarterback because the quarterback's elite. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. It's 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 very pleasant. It's kind of like you know last year we had the, the Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle Dolphins, and it was the most consolidated thing ever. We love consolidation. It makes our life so easy. You just start these guys, set it, and forget it. We don't like the teams that spread it all around. That's not fun at all. Um, shout out to the Chiefs try to consolidate some of these these wide receivers and make life a lot easier on everyone. Let's talk about a head coach that doesn't make life easy on anyone and is certainly not on the Greminger or Connor holiday card list, and that's Arthur Smith of the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, so last week, Bijan Robinson looks like the absolute truth. You took him in the first round of the FFPC main event that we drafted against one another in. Tyler Algier sees a very big workload has a really strong fantasy game I can live with that with both running backs getting touches because I think Bijan is such a great per touch guy and gets such high value touches that he's going to eat regardless and a more less a less emotional person than myself might say Theo he's keeping Bijan fresh by not grinding him into the ground so okay we'll give him that but they can't get a single point for Drake London Kyle Pitts gets minimal production. What's going on here? Can can you try to explain to me what's going on with Atlanta? And I have a nightmare scenario to share with you as well, Scott, after you kind of break this down. Well, I think unfortunately you can live with Kyle Pitts if you drafted him. I have Kyle Pitts in a main event in a couple Kentucky leagues. I probably structured my team around. I'm just starting Kyle Pitts. I'll live with the results. I don't feel as good as if I drafted TJ Hawkinson in the same spot, you know, like you can see the stark differences between which offense you would want. I think the tough one is Drake London. Like Algier is what he is. I actually think Algier will be one of those guys that I can see his start rate being 90 plus percent now after for after week one. And all it's going to take is a, you know, a, a 12 for 40 and no touchdowns for people to go, man, why did I start the RB two on what, what is probably going to be a below average offense. So I think Algier will kind of course correct. A lot of people didn't start him in week one. I know every team I have him on, I jammed him in this week going, oh man, all he needs is 25 touches and two touchdowns again. You know, like he's going to get that every week. The reality, he's not. Uh, London's the tough one. I took a lot of Drake London. And, you know, the Falcons run the ball. They ran the ball the second most in week one. Uh, the other problem was they played from ahead. They only ran 52 plays, which is 10 less than what you want to see on average. It's like, I, I, I'd bench Drake London everywhere. Even if he's the, the, the scary part is Theo is that Atlanta is one of the teams that also concentrates their offense to only four guys. Yes. But the concentration is so small that you still, 
like Ray and I did the breakdown the other night on Destination Chill. I said, if you give Ritter 30 pass attempts a game, which is a pipe dream, that's never going to be, he's not passing it 30 times a game. But even if you give him 25 attempts a game, and then you give Drake London a 30% target share, which I think is fair that he got last year. He got 32% last year, so give him 30 this year. You're promising me he's going to get eight targets a week. That sounds great until you realize the targets he's getting are extremely poor from a bad quarterback, you know, low completion percentage, and then probably an offense that anytime they get close is going to run it. So it's just like, what is a spike game for Drake London? Like five for 60 and a touchdown? You know what I mean? And there's offenses where the, the third option can give you that every week. Or at least I'd rather have the Jordan Addison in that spot than Drake London. So I, I, you just can't play him until you see it. And the problem is you what what I'm going to ask you this. What would signify you from Drake London in a game where you'd be right back on board with him where he was going in like round four of drafts? Is there anything that could even happen even in one game to where you'd be back in? Until we see a stylistic change, I think that I wouldn't really feel comfortable putting him in there unless Kyle Pitts got injured again. And if Kyle Pitts misses time, then I would convince myself on Drake London uh, assuming you know even more targets and being even more utilized. Because I think that what I got excited about, and I think a lot of dynasty managers did as well, is Drake London has the alpha profile, and he ain't flashed. And at the end of last season, with Desmond Ritter in, he had some higher volume games toward down the stretch where you say, okay, this is naturally going to continue into this season, but you know, things change. I will say there's a devil's advocate to, 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 to this argument is last week they targeted the running backs at such a high rate. There's going to be certain games where that's not going to be an option. They're going to have to utilize London, but again, Scott, it's really hard to predict. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm, putting him on a lot of benches this week and it, it hurts a lot um, because he's a guy that I do believe if you took Drake London and you put him on about 25 other teams in the NFL, he would be a lock fantasy starter. And I think that there's about 15 teams I could put him on right now where he'd be a wide receiver one this year. Uh, that's how, how much I think of his talent profile and everything. So I'll tell you my nightmare scenario is we at least know that we're starting Bijan Robinson and we're starting Tyler Algier in every single league this week. We feel good about that. But you have another factor coming in this week is Cordero Patterson comes back. And this is an Arthur Smith favorite who finished as an RB1 for him two seasons ago. And last year to start the season, he was heavily utilized. Tyler Algier made his ascent a lot of the time when Cordero Patterson missed some time. Cordero Patterson all offseason, they have talked about him being in the Joker role. And I don't know what Arthur Smith is going to do with a Joker role, but it scares the hell out of me that he's going to mess with Bijan, or mess with, or mess with Tyler Algier, or potentially make London and Pitts even less fantasy viable. What are your thoughts on Cordero? Talk me off this ledge. No, I was actually going to say the same thing. I think you're spot on. I think that the scary part is you already know how small the pie is, and even if you only project Cordero Patterson for what six or seven touches. It, it, like the three or four targets they throw to him, you're just like, dude, that's that's four percent of the offense every time he gets a target, and that's not going to Pitts or London. So I, I, the the problem is he's literally you can tell a story where he is annoying for all four of those other guys, but also not trustable in his in among itself. So yeah, that's a like he literally is a wild card player that impacts all the other four options. So as much as I like CPAT, like that's one of those guys where you kind of wish he was out for a little longer to see exactly what the offense looks like with him not in there. Uh, shout out to anybody listening on the podcast. Let's get the hashtag fire Arthur Smith uh, tag going all season long. And I don't care if he's 6-0. and We've got to fire this guy. He's a madman, and he's not good for fantasy. Uh, let's talk about a situation that we need to quickly uh, adjust to on the fly. It sounds like there's going to be no Austin Eckler this week. Um we have a question in the chat, and I think this is going to be a start-sit decision that a lot of fantasy managers are going to have to go through. Uh, Shout-out to Tyler Sperry says, would you start Josh Kelly over Joe Mixon, David Montgomery, or Javante Williams? Last week, Javon, uh, last week uh, Kelly had the most first downs of any player in football, which is always a stat that I like to look at because I think old-school coaches love seeing guys who can grind out first downs. 
Kelly also had over 90 yards rushing. He found the end zone. This is a guy that a lot of fantasy managers were were stashing, uh, especially as the summer moved along. And there's a lot of 18th round best ball shares right now uh, in places like Underdog with Josh Kelly in there uh, where managers are feeling really good. How confident are you in Josh Kelly getting a full load and producing big time uh, now that he's got to put the backfield potentially on his own? And I'll bring that up again. Joe Mixon, David Montgomery, Javante Williams, or Kelly? The probably the only one I would consider starting him over is Javante Williams. But that's just mostly because I, I know Josh Kelly historically is not a good running back. But, you know, he think think of essentially I'm looking at him very similar to what Alexander Madison was, where he's probably going to get a lot of work. It's just I'm not sure how good he is. Historically, he's actually one of the worst running backs in the league. And that's now that's judging from a backup lens where he's never really been a starter. But when I see guys that like per opportunity for their career, they're extremely bad, but they've never gotten any significant opportunity. It's kind of like you're buying into the, the worst of both worlds, you know? He's never earned more opportunity, but what he's gotten, he hasn't been awesome with it. So, yeah, I would not start him over Mixon. I would not start him over Montgomery. I mean, I guess Javante Williams, that he wasn't super impressive. You could start him over him, but it, that's one of those tough decisions where you actually hope you have Josh Kelly in the right spots, where you need him. If I drafted a Mixon, Monte, and Javante, that's too many dead zone running backs that I already have. And now you're into the same scenario with Swift, you know, where it's like, man, I'm not going to get access to that free Josh Kelly start. Puts up 20 on your bench and Mixon scores eight. You're going to be pissed. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great way of looking at things. I have one team with Dan Williamson of the GOAT District um, where we do have Josh Kelly. Uh, it's an Austin Eckler team. So we are probably going to throw him in the lineup. But I think there's also an interesting like dynamic where sometimes these running backs who will put up decent stats, uh, you know, as a, as a backup, um, sometimes when they're given the full load, just completely face pant plant. You can think about a couple times last year with like Jeff Wilson um, and a couple other starts like that, where they get universally started in DFS and streamed and then kind of let us down a little bit. So that's definitely, definitely one uh, that we need to teach, need to monitor and see, because this Eckler thing could be annoying. I've seen that this could be a multiple week injury, uh, if it lingers, it could be like two or three weeks of this. So we will see. Uh, Want to touch base on the Lions backfield. You drafted Jameer Gibbs. I have a ton of Jameer Gibbs. Um, and we both have talked about him on Dynasty programs as well. I personally think that that week one was a slightly conservative game plan in order to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. You see teams kind of change it up once in a while when you get into these difficult matchups, I think that as we move along, you're going to see Jameer Gibbs being heavily utilized as a receiver. And I think that that week one might be like towards the very low end of his fantasy scoring for the season. Are you on that train with Gibbs? Yeah. I mean, as Ray and I talk about the 60, 40 backfields where we call them 60 percenters or 40 percenters, Gibbs was always a 40 percenter but you were betting on home runs. You were betting on receptions, right? And you could tell he didn't get to 40%. We're usually looking at that from a snap count perspective. He didn't get to 40% because week one, all the opportunities where you probably would have been looking for Gibbs third and long, a lot of the third downs, he still wasn't playing those downs and it's gotta be, you know, obvious pass downs. They didn't want him out there, you know, until they saw what he looked like in pass protection or whatnot. So I think he ends up playing more. He doesn't even need to get to 50% for me to say I'm spots, I'm starting him every week that I have him. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much already there. He showed enough in week one that you drafted him. I'm still starting him. That's a guy I'll jam in for three or four bad games at least before I'd consider changing anything. So yeah, I'm all in on both. Yeah. A big time. And your general thoughts on, let's talk about a little, just a little bit further on Montgomery because he ran well, didn't receive any targets. Do you think that this is going to be kind of an annoying split in terms of Gibbs gets the targets Montgomery is underutilized as a receiver. Cause I think that would definitely kind of cap his upside and make the offense a little bit more predictable. I personally don't see it, but I do think that there's a chance that it could be more of kind of a, a, a true split in terms of usage. What are your thoughts on that, Scott? I mean, we saw it last year with Detroit, right? They literally did the same thing with Jamal and Deandre Swift. And maybe this is just a souped up, probably slightly better version in both spots, right? With Monty over Williams and uh, Gibbs over Swift. So I, I, why wouldn't they do the same thing? It was effective last year. It should work this year. And the good thing is if you set your roster up again, 
you know, Jamal Williams last year was very frustrating for a lot of people because you didn't set your team up right. You know, you weren't just playing him. You were trying to decide every week when to play him. So I think these two, you just play. You just play both. You live with the results. There's going to be some games where they're under double figures. There's going to be other games where, you know, Monty gets the 21, Swift gets the, or Gibbs gets the 10, vice versa. I think that's just too good of an offense. There's enough concentration that you just play them both. Let's pivot over to your Cincinnati Bengals. You know, if you look in the background, there's going to be some Cincinnati gear when Scott's on a lot of these shows. And Scott, you're my go-to source. I'll give you big props here. Last year, you told me to pick up Samaj P. Ryan when everybody else was talking about Chris Evans versus Samaj P. Ryan. I had some Samaj P. Ryan on my benches, and those weeks definitely helped me out a lot. So anything Scott says regarding Cincinnati, I think of kind of as like church. The guy gets it when it comes to the Bengals always. So where are your Bengals at right now? They get completely shut down against the Browns in week one. T. Higgins has a goose egg. Are we bouncing back in big time against the Baltimore Ravens this week on Monday Night Football, or are you really worried about going 0-2? As a fan, I'm very worried about going 0-2. I think uh, Buffalo, Cincy, and Kansas City are all in similar boats where, you know, especially Cincy and Kansas City because they play Jacksonville and Baltimore. They play good teams. Like, they can't afford to fall another game behind and start out 0-2. But I'll just say this. I think it's... You'll know pretty early on. Uh, I think the only concern I have is is something up with Joe Burrow that we don't really know. He says he's fine. He says his calf is fine, but it looked more than just the weather conditions that got him last week. I mean, he didn't. That's one of those guys that even if he's behind the eight ball because of something, you know you're going to get, like, he's still going to make plays. And he didn't make any plays, not one throw. Where you're like, okay, that's that's why he's so good. You know, he just didn't see any of that, which is very uncanny. And I've watched every one of Burrow's games for five years, and I just I can't remember him literally having a game like that. So that's the only thing. If not, I mean, it's one game. It was bad conditions. It was a team that literally has their number for some reason, uh, which is scary that there's a team in the division that literally does everything that. Uh, you know, the way you beat the Bengals is be able to cover their receivers, man coverage, and get to the pass rush, and they can do both, and they don't need to help on the receivers, and that's scary. But I think you just got to roll with them. I will say this, just a tip for everybody. I picked him in every draft. Uh, just because he was inactive last week, Chase Brown is the running back you want to pick up. You don't want Chris Evans. Cut Chris Evans. You don't want Travion Williams. He may get the first shot, but stash Chase Brown. So that's love- that, I love Stash, that one. He's probably been cut because he didn't play last week because he was a healthy scratch. But he is the guy they want to be the backup, and I wouldn't be shocked if we're looking up midway through the year and he's literally in Joe Mixon's spot playing just the same. No, I saw you drafting him a lot, and I'll say that Nelson Sousa, who I split uh, teams with, and Billy Muzio were also on the Chase Brown train, uh, and Dan Williamson like Chase Brown. So it's a guy kind of like when we do a lot of Dynasty content, you learn about these guys, and and I certainly agree with you. And I did see the guy cut. So so listen to this one, guys, and definitely try to pick up Chase Brown if you have an open spot for a lottery ticket. One rookie that did some really positive things this past week was Anthony Richardson. He finds the end zone as a runner, which is not surprising, but he completes 65% of his passes. What are your early thoughts on Anthony Richardson? Did he look better than you expected? Uh, about the same? Where are you at? So I lean on uh, I lean on Ray a lot because he watches all the games and he has a way better eye than probably we would forever watching stuff. But um, I was always on the Richardson over Fields before the season. But man, look, just seeing seeing how different Philadelphia looks this year and seeing that Richardson has the the person that built the offense in Philadelphia. Basically, like I feel very confident in my Anthony Richardson dynasty shares. The facts that he comes out. He's a quarterback one in his first start and he didn't do it with overwhelming running. You know what I mean? He had the rushing touchdown, but it's not like he went out and ran for a hundred yards and two touchdowns and that's how he got all his points. So yeah, I think very confident in Richardson and dynasty. And I think it's easily Richardson over fields more. Yeah, so I- not more. just because of the, I think he's in a place where they're going to allow him to be nurtured for a year or two. And I feel a lot more confident about him getting to his ceiling and being used optimally versus Fields. I think he's going the other direction. So I don't even think it's close. 
Yeah, and he enters the league younger than Justin Fields did, and he has a quicker start in terms of showing actual production, which yep. I know is not necessarily the the best indication of things, but I love seeing that that quick learning curve. And, you know, we've seen Shane Steichen do it with Jalen Hurts. We've also seen Shane Steichen do it with Justin Herbert. So he's kind of the quarterback whisperer right now, and 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 I love it. I I agree with you completely. Uh, how how high would you push Anthony Richardson up from a redraft perspective? Like, are you starting him? Like, how many quarterbacks are you starting over Anthony Richardson right now, ballpark? Like, is he for you a locked-in QB1 for the rest of the season, Scott? Oh, yeah. He's definitely got to be a QB1 the rest of the season. It, it's funny because all of the uh, early Kentucky drafts we did this year, uh, we do them Super Bowl weekend. So, yeah. of course, he was available in waivers in all of those leagues. And I, for some reason, I was the person that, put in the high waiver bids. I was going three, $400, which is crazy for a quarterback in a one QB league. But now I have a couple teams where it's a, it's a Lawrence versus Richardson or Burrow versus Richardson. And I'm sitting there going like, damn, I'm not quite ready to pull the trigger, but it feels nice to have him as a backup on teams where I already had a good quarterback. Cause a lot of those, I only drafted one QB, you know, you draft an Allen or Hertz. You don't need to pick up a second one. And then you get to waivers and you're like, damn, I kind of want to block the other people that don't have good QBs from getting them. So I ended up with a ton of Richardson, but I think you got to just jam him in. He showed enough in week one, man. Like he's not a zero passing, but he can also easily have a game where he's 80 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, they get down close. If they don't have Jonathan Taylor, like he's going to get a shot to run it in at least one time every time they're inside the 10. So I think that top 10. Yeah, I agree with I'd you. I'd start I, him over fields at this point. Easy. Completely agree with you on that one. I think that there's a lot of managers who faded him that are going to really, really regret it. Um, and I think he's going to put up very, very strong fantasy numbers and run for a lot of yards. And actually, we talk about consolidation. They don't have any wide receivers. So Michael Pittman is definitely a play right now. Uh, they they didn't start passing until like the second half, but Michael Pittman puts up a number. But they only have like three active wide receivers and Kylan Granson right now. So that's a fun offense. And I think that like you talked about with the goal line work, like Zach Moss is not any threat to Anthony Richardson. Uh, you know, him coming back and Deion Jackson just is not it. So you gave Ray GQ, Ray Garvin, some props, and I'm going to give him some props as well. I'll give Ray, I'll give John Lobb. I'll give uh, more than a few uh, dynasty minds, a little bit of credit with the Puka Nakua call out. Cause this off season, Ray comes on with Matt Kelly and talks up Puka Nakua. Derek Brown talked him up. You talked about him before. Curtis Patrick's talked about him before. I think that this is like sometimes redraft shows, people say they don't want to hear me talk about Dynasty. Sometimes Dynasty shows, people don't want me to hear talk about redraft. But they, they're very intertwined because we look at these prospects early on and get a look at them. And uh, none of us predicted Puka Nakua would get a 15-target game uh, certainly maybe at any time in his NFL career and certainly not out the gate. But I think a lot of these dynasty minds need to be paid more attention to next offseason. Oh, and my, our friend Scott Bullinger, Jax Falcone, was all over the Puka Nakua train. So I don't want to forget you out there, Scott. But let's talk about Puka Nakua. And let's also talk about Kyron Williams and Tutu Atwell. You had the Rams come out and beat Seattle and really handle them. You had Kyron Williams seeing uh, a, a pretty impressive workload in the first half of the game. Uh, they worked in Cam Akers when they had the lead. Then you also had Puka Nakua with the 15 targets. We don't really need to dive that much into him, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Tutu Atwell as well. Atwell, I, I was actually interested in how they used him. He ends up with eight targets. He gets 119 receiving yards. And this is a speed receiver that we didn't love the fact they used a second round pick on him, but they used it. And he was a very productive player at Louisville with tons of speed. What are your thoughts on Williams and Atwell? And you got to share your thoughts on Nakua, but everybody's heard that all podcast week. So rather hear you talk about the other two, Scott. Yeah, I think I'll have some unique takes on the receivers. I think with Kyron Williams, he was a guy that I was taking a lot of. Um, and I only got him in lineups, I think like 40% of the leagues that I had him. So it was a little frustrating, but even the 40% getting him in a couple that's why you draft a bunch of running backs and that's why you put yourself in position where you can start him. Cause who knows if that's going to continue. So I think he's just 
They probably trust him in a lot of situations that they don't trust Cam Akers. Cam Akers is historically a terrible running back. Right there, I mentioned Josh Kelly earlier, the other guy that's in the bottom five currently in the active NFL's Cam Akers. So he's just not an efficient running back, which means, in theory, his touches should go down. So I think Kyron's just one where you want to be desperate enough to have to play him. But if I'm making decisions between Josh Kelly and Kyron Williams, and that's where where it gets tough. Like, you're going to whiff on a couple of those. Uh, I'll just say this with the receiver. You nailed the take on Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua. The fact that Tutu Atwell was a second rounder, because if you remember, people really liked his prospect profile, other than whether he was really, really tiny. They kind of liked him as a sleeper until he went in the second round, and then it was, there's no way he should have gone that high being that small. Then he misses his entire rookie year. Then next year, he's essentially shut down again. So he's off the radar entirely. So there's no way you could be back in on him, even though maybe it was just bad luck that he wasn't out there for two years. And then maybe he ends up being an option that you can continue to rely on. So I think we faded him because he had good draft capital and didn't do anything. So we've written him off. And then here's the interesting thing about Puka. He was a fifth-round pick, but then if you sort by receivers that have ever got more than double-figure targets in a game as a rookie, so we're talking like day-three picks, right? So let's eliminate like first-rounders and stuff. Day-three picks that have ever gotten double-figure targets in a game or more than 70 targets in a season, which he's already done one, and I think as long as he's healthy, he'll get 70 targets this year, right? He might have 70 by by game 10, game 9. But, but the point is, if you just filter those two things and then you look at the day three receivers that came out of that filter, now it's like there's only like 15 of them in history. And seven of them are the ones you're like, damn, that's an outlier. You yep. know, that's Tyreek Hill. You know, like the names, all of a sudden, when you pull him out of the fact that he was a day three pick, the quote unquote like hit rate once you filter is a little bit higher. So I, I think I need to do a better job of not saying, ah, he's a fifth rounder. It was a fluke. Like when you start seeing things that are unlikely for fifth rounders, you start taking them out of that cohort and you almost have to treat him like he didn't get any draft capital because, you know, you do the opposite, Theo, and you filter by first round picks, receivers that had less than 50 targets as a rookie. And then you look at that list and you go, who cares if they were first rounders? It was Nikhil Harry. It was Nelson Aguilar. You know, it's all terrible prospects. Josh Doxson, like it's all players you wouldn't want. So very quickly, I think we have to say the draft capital doesn't matter when the stuff on the field is starting to show us that it really doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I love it. And and you start talking about these day three guys. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill. So I think it's a lot of like the mind, the mindset of a lot of dynasty managers is immediate sell on Puka Nakua. And if you're getting like a huge, huge offer, absolutely go ahead and do it. But you better be sure about things because you saw a lot of fantasy managers immediately start selling Amon Ross St. Brown when he had his mega production as a rookie. And now try going and getting some Amon Ross St. Brown. It's it's very, very, very difficult. Uh, this is a guy we're taking the first round. So I don't know if Puka has that in his range of outcomes, but Scott, the situation kind of reminds me a little bit of Hunter Renfro in 2021, a guy who can truly win and he can absorb a lot of targets and they like to find a mismatch with him. And at the end of the day, you look up and you say, wow, this guy ends up with 100 targets. So I don't know if that's necessarily the outcome for Puka Nakua, but they're not putting that back in the bag. Um, I definitely appreciate your thoughts on, on Atwell. Atwell, I do a fantasy sleepers uh, column uh, here that should be dropping maybe today, and he's in there. He's only uh, he's available in 81% of Yahoo leagues. Puka's dealing with an abdominal injury. If you're in a, a league that has you know free open waivers, pick him up. Leave him on your bench, see what happens this weekend, because he could be a guy that could be helpful, especially in bye weeks. Want to quickly get you know, we're up on an hour, but I want to get your reaction to Zay Flowers. And before we do that, everybody hit the like button. You have a lot of people watching. Scott's bringing the heat. Definitely hit the like button. It definitely helps us out. Scott, your thoughts on Zay Flowers, because this is a guy we talked about um, as a prospect, you know, when we're doing the draft evaluation podcast. This is a guy that comes out has 11 touches game one. Now J.K. Dobbins is lost. I think Zay Flowers is going to be even more heavily utilized. He's going to be the screen guy. And I think that they had two manufactured runs for him last week. I'm very bullish on this situation. I've also seen some people push back and kind of call him a gadget player. I don't agree with that. Where are you at on Zay Flowers, the player, 
and Zay Flowers for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, he's probably the biggest riser after week one. If you drafted him and you got him as like the third or fourth rookie receiver off the board, you feel awesome. If you got him in dynasty with the late first, you feel awesome. I don't want to I don't want to say that I would bump him so high to the point where he's in the top 15 receivers. I've seen some people putting him in the top 15, top 20. I don't know about that. I mean, is it crazy to say he could be a could he be another Kadarius Tony, but with no injury issues? A more level-headed Kadarius yeah, Tony. With yeah, and, no and I think yeah. he's—I think he's probably a better receiver. I mean, just seeing some of the stuff that he had in college, I think he's probably a better receiver than Kadarius Tony too. But I—I'll just say this: I think the Ravens' offense—you're going to know pretty quickly if the offense was exactly what we thought it was going to be or what we thought it could be. Uh, and if it's not, I still like Zay Flowers, but I'm still—I'm still not out on even picking up Rashad Bateman. Like he yeah. didn't play a lot. He only played 37% of the snaps in week one, but he, relative to the snaps he played, he was still involved at a pretty high rate. So I've seen the people saying, you know, Bateman is done. He's dead. You know, like, I don't agree with that. I think this comes down to, we want Baltimore to turn into one of those situations where it's concentrated and you need the offense efficiency to push up, pick up a little bit. Quick if it question. does that, then I want all of them. I agree with you on that. And I think Bateman's an interesting one because Odell played a lot of snaps. We've seen Odell break down in several seasons. Yep. I think it could be a, a, an opposite pass. And boy, we get to midseason, Odell starts breaking down and Bateman's in our lineup every week. Uh, shout out to Franz Franz in the chat. Dynasty question, Pittman, Zay Flowers. I'm taking Zay Flowers in Dynasty over Michael Pittman all day. Where are you at? It's not even close and it has nothing to do with the players. It's because the market loves Zay Flowers. And I think Pittman's a very good receiver, Theo, but he's already in the... He's just another receiver, right? Like there's, he's, there's, he's in the perpetual have, wide receiver too. Yes. He's and, Terry McLaurin. He's Jerry Judy. Like if yeah. he's on your team, you like him. If he's an asset, you're trying to move around the board. He's not the type of asset you want. Whereas Zay Flowers, he has one or two more games like he did last week. I mean, you, you're starting to get into an elite player tier if you're willing to trade him away. So give me Pitt and Give me Zay easy. Trade equity matters a lot sure. in Dynasty. Uh, shout out to Nick Take Jake. How do you guys feel about the Ravens' backfield will shake out? And I'll ask you this: uh, Did you end up with any Justice Hill in your waiver wire runs this this week in in either redraft or dynasty? Uh, dynasty, a couple, just because I any running back on a fifty three. But uh, Theo, explain this to me. Explain to me the people dropping seven eight hundred dollars on Justice Hill in a main event. It's the last two years the Ravens have lost their starting running backs. And if you look, Lamar Jackson has led him in rushing the last two years, just attempts. And the high mark, I think, was like 133 rushes by one single player. And, I mean, you can count Mike Davis, Latavius Murray, Kenyon Drake. I mean, it is it not going to be anything other than what we've seen the last two years? The Ravens are more than comfortable of doing the same thing. And would you be shocked if Melvin Gordon has as many touches as Gus Edwards and Justice Hill within one or two games. Alan Soslowski's on the Melvin Gordon train. I don't. I personally don't see that one. I'm. I added some Justice Hill. The most I spent was like twenty percent. Are, some are of you? Yeah. Let me ask you this: Are you starting? Would you have added Justice Hill if I told you you could not start him for two weeks? No, I think if you added Justice Hill, you you're you probably need an RB two, okay. and maybe you had J.K. Dobbins, and uh, okay, I I think that. But again, I'm apprehensive to put him in my lineup, so maybe the the fab didn't didn't work. But but if you're already apprehensive about putting him in the lineup this week, it just I get it if you got him for fifty bucks, five percent, yep. okay. But some of these bids, it's like you know four. I, I saw the Fantasy Mojo's report, and some people are dropping over half their fab on Justice Hill, and then you look, and there's going to be people that dropped 30, 40, 50 percent, and didn't start him. And I'm just looking at the his, the history of the Ravens' backfields. Like, what? two weeks, he could be a guy that A, gets injured again, or B, you're going, well, I'm going to cut him for another body. And you didn't even play him during the one or two weeks where you could have played him. So I, I just don't understand the Justice Hill picks up, pick up, honestly. Who did you end up with in most of your FFPC uh, main event slash Kentucky main event teams on the waiver wire? Was there any player that you in particular added a lot of, even if it's a cheap guy or a high or big ticket guy? Yeah, I did add 
I added quite a bit of um, the Kareem Hunts and Leonard Fournettes that didn't get drafted. I was willing to go a little bit higher on those guys, you know, 50, 60 bucks on those guys if they didn't get drafted just because week one fatigue, they're not on a roster, don't have time for them. Now, either of those guys sign with Baltimore tomorrow. Who do you prefer, them or Justice Hill? I probably prefer, I would prefer Leonard Fournette if he signs with Baltimore. I have concerns about Kareem Hunt. I don't know how cooked he is. Uh, It sounds like maybe some health concerns, but yeah, absolutely. I'd be into Leonard Fournette. I love the call. I would love to keep talking with you for, for like two hours and shout out to the chat. There's so many good questions in the chat. We just don't have enough time to get to them, but uh, definitely uh, at me on Twitter. I'm happy to answer any of these questions. Uh, Tag Scott. He's happy to answer them as well. We want to help you out this year as much as possible. Definitely check out all of Scott's podcasts. They're fantastic stuff. I love listening to them. Remind everybody your weekly schedule, Scott. So everything you can find, Destination Devi, Monday Mondays, the podcast drops, Destination Dynasty. Tuesday nights, we have Trades in 5, which is Dynasty Trades in 5, 8.30 to 10 Eastern. We live stream. And then Wednesday nights, 9 to 10, Ray and I do Destination Chill on the Destination Devi feed. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. If you want content from me, you can get it there. And then everything else at Destination Devi, check out the pod feed. There's also a uh, second pod feed called Wake Up with uh, Wake Up and Jay Rich and uh, and Ray do their show every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So there's going to be additional trades in five and some content from Shane and I on there as well. So subscribe to those two pod feeds is what I tell everybody to do. And follow all those guys. They're all tremendous. Uh, Really, really, really entertaining as well. It's not just cookie cutter, vanilla fantasy football content. You know, you'll you'll be entertained and you'll learn a lot and help you win your leagues. I hope this one helped you win a lot. Definitely check out uh, yesterday's First Class Fantasy with Alan Soslowski and Jim Coventry. That was a great show. I uh, also want to give a shout out to Mauricio Gutierrez. We launched Player Profiler on Espanol. If you want to absorb fantasy football content in Spanish, there's no better place to find it than Player Profiler on Espanol. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to the Fantasy Empire. If you enjoy seeing Billy Muzio and I discussing high-stakes content and you like seeing Scott and I discuss high-stakes content, listen to Nando DeFino and Chris Vaccaro every single Wednesday morning on the Fantasy Empire. Those guys are great. Chris Vaccaro is an NFFC Hall of Famer. Nando DeFino is one of the better podcasters around, and that show is really, really good. And I think by the end of the season, you're going to be listening to it anyway, so you might as well start this week. And stick with me on press coverage all season long. I have Ray Garvin, Ray GQ coming on next week. I have a number of of guests that I'm going to line up. Uh, It's going to be good stuff every single week. Thanks for tuning in. Have an amazing weekend. Thanks again to Scott. This was awesome. We got to do it again sometime soon, Scott. Uh, We're going to have to do like a a dynasty only one and a redraft only one because it's just too much fire, man. But have a great weekend, everybody. I hope you crush in your fantasy links. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.